Thanks for finding and tuning in to Organic Matters again this week. Uh, getting more hits every week. Somebody's uh, doing something right. Not sure it's me. This particular portion of the show is going to be a little different. I say this every week and then I do I'm going to look, I want to call it beyond the magical thinking. It's time, folks, to get really serious on climate change. And I've tried to separate the wheat from the chaff. I've done a lot of study this week. I happen to have some extra time and went through to Yale University, found a bunch of interesting information from them, went on to Oxford's website and a number of other places. And I've tried to take it all. It's way more information than, than I want to do all at one time. I'm going to try to, to kind of encapsulate it so you get the right idea, but I don't want to bore you to death with it. I've probably said this on the air. I've certainly told my friends this. I had a, a coach who oversaw our debate team when I was in college. And he taught me a couple of things that were, I didn't know at the time, invaluable. Okay, And they're kind of funny, but they're true. One is, and he said it rather crassly, but you'll understand, that Jesus Christ can only hold an audience's direct attention for about 20 minutes at a shot. He meant that ironically, but you see the point. And the other one that I learned the hard way is that you should always talk, not down to people at all, but I try to do everything on what I call the eighth or ninth grade level. Why? Because that's how I understand it. Simple is always better. I was guilty. I was a herpetology major, and I thought using the big highfalutin words and all the Latin... No, it didn't go across as well. Once I learned that you're, you're talking to someone like you talk to them on the street, uh, I got a lot more listeners, and I think I hopefully got a lot more of my points across. So that's how I'm going to try to do this. It's just a wade into, to, we've got to do it, folks. It's no longer a joke. There were 20 years ago, or 30 when I started, I've been on the radio over 20 years, and there was a number of people, oh, no, that's not true, and there were... Idiots bringing snowballs into the Senate not too many years ago. Folks, it's here. It's real. We need to address it. Not for you and I. I'm not going to get to see much of this. That's what's ironic about it. My kids and my kids' kids and the generations after us, and I've stole this statement, they're going to look back and say to people like me, who's been into the whole climate change thing for since I first heard the word, why didn't you do more about it? Why didn't you, that we're going to hand them a world worse, in worse condition than we got. Generations before us, every generation, if you look at it, had an improvement from the generation before them. However little it was, it progressed. Now, especially when you talk about the world, the big picture, it's not true anymore. It's degradating. It's going down. It's getting less desirable, harder to live. We are a part of the problem. We are the main part of the problem. That's why it's called anthropogenic change. And we need to be and have to be the leaders in whatever the solution takes to get this earth back, if not as good, better than we started with. Folks, in spite of decades of studies and climate summits and greenhouse gas emissions uh, that we've studied and they continue to soar. It is time to stop 
bouncing back and forth between apocalyptic forecast and rosy models of rapid CO2 cuts and focus on the truly difficult task of remaking our entire worldwide energy system. That is where the crux of the problem lies as far as I am concerned. So let's begin by looking at a bit of the past. We can't learn the future till we know what's going on. And it's not very good information so far, but at least we started to take a look at what we knew was becoming a problem. The first UN conference took place way back in 1992. It was in Rio, Rio de Janeiro. And in the intervening decades, we have had a, a good number, a series of global meetings and, I don't know, countless assessments and studies. Annual climate change conferences began in 1995, first in Berlin, and included much publicized gatherings. Oh, the Kyoto was a biggie, 1997, with its, incidentally, completely ineffective agreement when they get everybody together. Waste of a good time and money. Then, uh, Mark Czech in 2001, Bali, Cancun, Lima, and Paris in 2015. In Paris, incidentally, about 50,000 people flew in to the French capital to attend that conference at which they were to strike. We were assured what was called a landmark and also very ambitious and unprecedented agreement. Yet, the Paris Agreement did not codify any specific reduction targets by the world's largest emitters, and even if all voluntary non-binding pledges would have been honored, something utterly improbable if you want to know the truth, the Paris Accord would still have resulted and has resulted in a 50% increase of emissions, and that's still growing by the year 2030. Some landmark, if you ask me. So actually, what have we done to avert or even to reverse global warming in the last three decades or so since the Rio conference? Well, the data is clear, folks, and it's not good. Between the years 1989 and 2019, we actually increased global anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions by something around 65 to 67%. Affluent countries like the United States, Canada, Japan, Australia, and those in the European Union, whose per capita energy was very high three decades ago, did reduce their emissions, but only by about 4 or 5%. Meanwhile, Indian greenhouse gas emissions increased 4.3 times, Chinese emissions by 4.8 times. Atmospheric CO2 levels, which for centuries fluctuated narrowly at more or less 270 parts per million for as, far, for as long as we can find science to back it up, rose in the summer of 2020 from 270 at the end of 2020 to over 420 parts per million. That, folks, is more than a 50% increase over what we can go back as far as the late 18th century and accurately measure. In other words, it's kind of regrettable, folks. We have largely ignored taking steps to limit the long-term impacts of what we know as climate change. The crux of the problem seems to be to me that rather than take a clear-eyed, close look at the enormous challenges of phasing out the fossil fuels that 
are the basis of modern industrial economies. We've kind of bounced back and forth uh, from what I stole the word, but it's called uh, catastrophism on one hand, and the kind of almost magical thinking of techno-optimism on the other hand. And those sort of pie-in-the-sky dreams just really, really haven't uh, uh, bore any fruit to speak of. As a matter of fact, in these last two or three decades, we've actually multiplied our reliance on the combustion of fossil fuels, resulting in an independence that will not be severed easily or certainly inexpensively. How rapidly we can change this, we don't even know yet, folks. Add to this all the other environmental worries, and you must conclude that the key question here, question, can humanity realize its aspirations within the safe boundaries of this world, this place, this biosphere we live in? Well, we don't have any easy answers. But it is imperative that we understand the facts of the matter. Only then can we tackle the problem effectively. We have to understand the past and we have to understand what it's going to take to change the future. There are thousands of different scenarios I could give you to kind of convince you. But since I've become sort of an EV, electric vehicle nerd, I have a couple of electric bicycles. Right at this moment, I'm driving a hybrid car. Uh, I'm going to just point out one, one fact that I don't think many of us were aware of. In 2020, a couple years ago, the average SUV emitted annually 25% more CO2 than a standard automobile. Well, multiply that, folks, by the 250 million SUVs on the road worldwide, and you'll see how the global embrace of just that machine has wiped out and wiped out many times over any decarbonization gains resulting from the slowly spreading ownership of my favorites, electric vehicles of any kind. Even at this point, there's only about 10 or 12 million electric cars on the road in the whole world. During the 2010s, SUVs became the second highest, listen to this, this one machine, one automobile, type of automobile, second highest cause of rising CO2 emissions, only behind electricity generation itself. If their mass public embrace continues, they have the potential to offset any carbon savings from the more than 100 million electric vehicles that is projected to be on the road by the year 2040. The list of what we have not but could have done is long. But to move forward, the first thing we must do is to get a real grip about the primacy of fossil fuels and the challenges ahead of getting the heck off of them as our primary energy source. Kind of end this up because I could go on and on. It's this is from pages and pages, but I, as I say, I try to do this thing in twelve or fifteen minute increments so I can maintain some interest in what I do for my radio show. So I am really not either a pessimist or an optimist. I, in my twenty-two years, I am a radio host. What else am I? But I try to explain how the world really works as best as I understand it. A realistic grasp of our past, present, and uncertain future is the best foundation we can use for approaching the unknowable expanse of time that is before us. While we cannot be specific, we know that the most likely prospect is a mixture of progress and setbacks, 
of seemingly insurmountable and it almost seems impossible difficulties and near miraculous advances when we do make them. The future, as ever, is not predetermined. Its outcome depends on our actions and to some degree each and every one of us. The LED you change, the change over to a, a hope eventually an all-electric car, but certainly a hybrid. The idea of going the extra mile like I do on my bicycle or walking the extra step times millions of us, billions of us, incidentally. We're at 7.8 or 9 billion. There's going to be 8 billion of us before we can even think about it. Each one of us is a part of the problem, and each one of us can certainly be a part of the solution. Think about it. Do your part. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters.